A case in point, words are only words. You just saw two actors have an entire conversation saying only A, and the other responding B. Mitch, Christopher, you want to give it a try? Hey, come on, Chris. Hey. Hey, indeed. Welcome to Cuts of Black, a soprano sit-down. I am Jim Scampoli, and we are watching every episode of The Sopranos. B, and I am Jacob. We could do that. I mean, I feel like we're just saying back and forth how great The Sopranos is for an odd 86 episodes. We could just be saying A and B in varying tones of enthusiasm, but hey, we'll add a bit more texture. We'll go through it a bit more in detail. We're going to talk about episode five of season two, Big Girls Don't Cry. Yes, episode five of season two, which was written by Terrence Winter and directed by Tim Van Patten. Uh... Terrence Winter uh, wrote like 25 episodes or some crazy (laughs) amount like that. And he also is the creator of the show Boardwalk Empire. Uh, Uh And Timothy Van Patten uh, has directed, well, not not where we're at, but he will go on to direct 20 episodes. This is his third episode that he directed. So these are... These are big-time Sopranos mainstays. These are names you'll hear and see quite a bit. And I think this is a very quality episode, and you understand why. Maybe I already said this at some point, but it does feel like when we check the writer and director, it's either like, and they were never seen from again, (laughs) or they've done almost every episode of The Sopranos. So I can only assume that eventually we're going to have just repeating directors and not as many wild cards because since they've directed so many, I mean, they must have directed a lot of the ones coming up. Yes, yeah, it seems like they... I mean, because we're still at this point here in season two. And by the way, uh, we will only, there will be no spoilers beyond this point of season two, episode five. So if you are on a fresh watch like uh, my boy Jacob Burrows here, there's no worry. Um, but yeah, because it, it, even though, I mean, we're in the middle of season two, but you got to remember this show, they're like they're just figuring themselves out. I mean, I think they're they're at the point where they kind of got it on lock, but... You know, uh, there's still early stages here and things are starting to become clear on on what this show is. You know, one day I wish people will talk about the things I do like that. Like this was still in the early <laughs> days of Cut to Black when they, they did have the counters for walkouts and for death, but they did not have the counter for blowjobs and they hadn't quite figured out the format yet. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's when they—that's when they didn't find the so- the blowjob sounder to play. Oh, the early days of Cut to Black. Um, but I, I feel like this this episode has—it's uh, like strong all the way through. And I'm, but a part of it is, and I was wondering your thoughts here uh, before we dive into like kind of beat by beat. I'm such a sucker for Chris Maltesanti's writer slash acting stuff, and I know kind of in the previous episode where we dealt with this, you weren't fully on board but i'm on board i love it jim there was a good like 15 minutes maybe 10 minutes of this uh episode when i thought oh this is his arc this is where he's going <laughs> little christopher he's gonna be a big time hollywood actor and that's gonna be the thing that's gonna cause conflict with him and the mob family and then he messed it all up in true christopher fashion and he not only i mean spoiler alert for the end of this episode he throws away all his writing stuff 
Granted, I don't think that's actually the end of it. Uh, but yes, I think we mentioned last time, uh, you and I are probably both suckers for stories about writers for obvious reasons. Like we're into writing, we're into creative stuff. Yeah. And in this episode, I was so on board with it and so on board with him being like the fucking Harry Potter of this school who comes out of nowhere and has all these weird skills. You know, he's got the secret secret power that comes out. It's maybe because he's so bad at writing that I've had a hard time getting on board. And now it's like, oh, he's got something special. And that makes it feel special. Yes. And the way they handle it and just knowing like um, who he is as far as the show's concerned, where we're at, it's like tragic it's it's such a tragedy because, you know, I mean, Tony has talked a lot about uh, if he's born into this or if he would have maybe had a different option in life. And given, you know, it's still just kind of a cheesy acting class that he's in and he's kind of the standout of just like, you know, the, what the guy, one of the guys is uh, he works in finance or something, something like that. It's just, you know, people doing like hobby stuff and he's pretty good at it. But the fact that he can't kind of deal with it head on and has to blow it up, it's, it's tragic. And, and the writer side, I think I really enjoy just because, you know, you wonder if there's, if you're Chris Maltesanti where <laughs> you think your stuff's really good. But, yeah. you know, maybe the reason why, you know, you're not this big shot A-list Hollywood writer is that you are Chris Maltesanti and everyone else sees it and, and you don't. And yeah, you just gave me something <laughs> to think about, Jim. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm such a sucker for that because it's so funny, like, to laugh at, like, what what's the name of his uh, script? It's like, I bark, you bite. No, you bark, I bite or something like that. Yeah. And we saw, like, in the pre previous episodes, a lot of his gr grammatical mistakes and kind of cheesy dialogue. And he thinks it's cool, and then you. Uh, but then, like to me, I'm like, oh my god, that's me. I'm, <laughs> I'm Chris Maltesanti. I can't believe it. Uh, so I, I'm such a sucker. And I mean, I like Chris a lot. I like the character a lot. I mean, they haven't done a lot with him this season. Uh, I guess I should say I like the actor a lot more because you know they. I love to laugh at Chris and like the situations he gets caught up in, and I just like this weird little glimmer of hope they kind of give you. And the way it gets blown up as it should, and I mean, of course, we're going to see that and have seen that with a lot of characters on this show. But it just it feels like it hits close to home with Chris Maltesanti. Yeah, the reason it feels different from like Adriana wanting to be a music manager or whatever is that this is an acting class for writers. Uh, I it feels like they maybe could have gone the route of like, no, nah, I'm going to be a big shot actor, and he wants to do that, and he does this. Although, yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty good. He does pretty good at it. But I just mean it's something that would actually help his writing. And it actually does exactly what it should. It puts him more in touch with his feelings and how an actor says the lines and how it all works. And then he throws it all away. And I was sure, I mean, literally, he doesn't actually, he doesn't throw away anything of value, but he literally does throw away all his old stuff. And first I was like, good, start a new script, dude. It sucked. <laughs> yeah. But then, no, he just sort of, walks away into a mob life and drugs. So uh, yeah, a bit of a tragedy, as you said. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I mean, I like how they, I mean, I guess we're kind of, we could just talk through this storyline here before we get into the rest of the episode. But, um, you know, he has the classic Christopher thing where he's supposed to do, you know, a glass menagerie scene. And it is the, like he, he's so against it because he doesn't get it, but that's like the point. 
And like, I mean, the teacher even says that, like, the you know, you're, you're acting, you're supposed to, you're not just supposed to do, what did he want to do? The scene where, um, well, cause then he wants to change the scene again. And he's like, mm. I can do the scene where he jumps out of the car. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, how are you going to do that in your improv class? Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like how it all plays out. And then even it's such a dumb thing, but when he has that good improv moment about the oranges and they kind of uh-huh. do a close up on him and he's like looking around like he's very proud of himself and everyone's kind of clapping because he's like, hey, you're dropping your fucking oranges. It's such, <laughs> it's such a do, small victory, but it's so great. Yeah, they do, they like do a dramatic camera move more dramatic than when like people are getting killed in this show. <laughs> then you just stay in a in a bland gray wide shot. You kill someone. But here it's like worst <laughs> fucking good improv, bro. And he he's smiling and he gets a laugh even at the start when he comes in and he says, yeah, I bought that oh, book. Yeah. So I'll write a screenplay in 20 days. That was a year ago. Everyone laughs. <laughs> and the look on his face is like, okay, that wasn't a joke, but <laughs> whatever. And I mean, I, I haven't read anything particular on like if David Chase or any of the writers have talked about some of the stuff they go to explore. But I mean, I got to imagine, you know, he's playing with that part of himself of like, am I a bad writer? And also, you know, if he is a, like all the writers, I'm sure, have done st- stuff similar to this and gone to whether it be like an improv uh, thing or like an acting class. So yeah, they also get to be playful with it and kind of make fun of it a little bit because it is kind of corny. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, it's it's also helpful. So I, I don't know. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy when they kind of delve into this a little bit. Uh, and I think it's a very strong part of the episode where – you know, where a lot of other stuff is going on, uh, kind of big plot stuff as well. Yes. And I mean, just a final thing, the end of this storyline, to me, I mean, it's the obvious read, I guess, but the reason he throws it away is that I think he has realized what writing is. He realizes that Adriana is right and that he has to do that. And like Tony turning away from therapy, He's, he's like touched on something that's very scary to him. Like getting in touch with his feelings is like horrifying for him. So he just decides to throw that all away and probably to go and do a bunch of drugs instead, which as you said, he hasn't had that much to do this season. I've been a bit disappointed in him, not just as a person, not just as a character, but as like what he's had to do in the in the episodes. It's just been just been a lot of drugs, really. And yeah. they're talking about, oh, he's a good kid. He's a good earner. First thing in this episode, he goes to collect money. He only gets half. All he does is shove a pen, like, uh, yeah, a, a brush. brush. Yeah. A little paintbrush up his nose and sit him down on a toy car, and then he leaves dramatically. So I don't know if he should be getting that uh, button yet. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense because later on he does say he wasn't sure what Tony wanted. Like maybe, but I mean, I read it obviously as like, does he want him to like start fucking shit up big time or whatever? But mm-hmm. you're right. He's not taking the initiative. He's not, uh, you know, showing his worth here. He's just three what three weeks in a row or whatever it's been that he's been light come on christopher what are you doing here yeah and we did say furio like getting him over there what was really the point because you know he tony says like oh they're not gonna have family or whatever over here but i will say when furio goes in there he doesn't have adriana outside honking the horn because he's got to get to his acting class so maybe tony had a point after all get some more neapolitans in here yeah, very true uh and then we check back in over with Artie at the new vesuvios and uh i it's funny how 
Tony's being like uh, he's antagonizing um, Charmaine. Like, I mean, it's a quick mm-hmm. thing, but he's like, "Hey, on," or uh, makes like a comment, and of course, she's annoyed. And I yeah. like uh, Artie's comment is like, oh, "You can't turn down a four top like that." Like, <laughs> such a uh, you know restaurateur uh, way of thinking. Like, because of course these these four dudes are gonna buy a bunch of shit, buy bottles of wine, and uh, you know leave leave uh, some money on the table. So you can't turn down that four top. I had to Google what a four top was. It's just a table with four seats. Yeah, I only know that because I watch a lot of Hell's Kitchen. And <laughs> okay. I mean, a four top's not usually that crazy. Usually they're talking about eight tops. Like, oh my God, we got an eight top coming in. But I mean, we're talking a four top that's Tony, Sill, Polly, uh, and shit. Who else? Was there someone else? No, in that one, it was just three people. That's oh, why it was why extra he, confusing. Oh, yeah. Why do you call it a four top? God damn you. But either but, way, that three top, that's at least a six top when they come when they come rolling through. Right. And because, uh, you know, if someone from New York might show up and sit down and then, you know, Furio's there, that'll be a six <laughs> top in no time. Yeah. Uh, but it, Artie does say specifically they can't turn, turn down a four top. That made me think a four top must be some sort of offer that the restaurant gives like and these mafiosos really love the four top when they give you like four main courses or something that's what i thought it was oh, just to show how gotcha. stupid i am yeah and um, i mean I, maybe it is just that they're not doing well and you can't even turn down uh, a four top table cuz they do start they do men- make mention that he's kind of trying out some different stuff and they're kind of shitting on it and they're also doing that thing that uh that annoying thing people do where cuz we know how the italy trip went we know it wasn't that great but yeah. now they're experts, and they're yeah. like, "Oh man, you uh, you should have the cheese over there." Oh my god, like uh, just that thing you get to like rub it in people's faces that you went somewhere else, or especially whether it be another country or what have you. Uh, yeah, I'm li- really looking forward to you coming in next week's episode, telling us all about sushi uh, yeah. and such, because Jim is going to Japan very shortly. Yes, um, so I can only imagine you find some way to weave that into our discussion of The Sopranos. Oh, you wait for uh, it. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they can't turn down a four top. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, really th- well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and he, it, basically he's doing that thing, but then he weaves it into, he wants, hey, by the way, yeah, Artie, let's yeah, hire this guy. to hire Furio. And how suspicious would it be if someone's like, Hey, uh, I got a friend coming over. Maybe, maybe you could help him out with a job. And you're like, ah, it's too tight over here. Oh, don't worry. I'll pay him. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is <laughs> like clearly suspicious. Uh, I, I can't imagine Charmaine knows the full extent of what's going on here because that would not fly. But, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, Furio does end up, you know, pressing Buffalo mozzarella with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and yes. He takes breaks anytime yeah. he wants. <laughs> I mean, having looked up uh, a fair few visa things for a fair few countries in my day, I'll say it's a pretty smart thing to do. That's what you should probably w- should do if you want someone to stay in the country, because uh, that's that'll give you a guarantee. Because they'll fuck you over anything, really, uh, get you out of there real quick. But hey, not if you're paying for him, and also you get fucked up and your restaurant burned down if you fire him. So that's a good deal. Uh, and then we get kind of the beginning, uh, like we've, we've already been kind of talking about Christopher's acting class and, you know, this was introduction to all that. We have a quick scene after that where Tony sees himself on the news with Big mm-hmm. Pussy. And, and it's so funny because it's the scene is like 20 seconds and he just kind of yells about it. And I assume he thinks that Carmela entered the room, but it's their maid. And then yes. he's like, oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> then it just moves to the next scene. Now, I... Th- oh, yes. go ahead. I was going to say, I thought that was 
part of the Carmilla storyline where she usually would have been there, but she's off doing something different now because last week she had a revelation about how she doesn't mm. love this life as much as she should. But there is nothing more about that in this episode. So it felt a bit like here's this very short kind of funny scene. Yeah. And then um, I-, I was wondering if, because throughout this episode, we see that Tony isn't fully trusting Big Pussy. And yeah. there hasn't really been a lot. Uh, I mean, I guess just in general, the fact that he did disappear, they're still a little shaky on his story, even though it did check out. I mean, I guess that's uh, that's kind of all in play. I mean, I wasn't sure if, and there's nothing really in the scene to show it, but I don't know if the fact that it happens to be a picture of him in Big Pussy sets up any red flags, but I might just be looking for importance in this quick thing to show that he's still kind of off the hinge a little bit. I think that's part of it. Also, like, to remind us of the wider world and the investigation still going on. One thing that surprised me was later in the episode, we have Junior just showing up to the party um, where Furio's there. And was there something in the news report that made it like, but now he can walk around without house arrest, too? Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. I guess you can... I mean, I'm just kind of trying to fill in blanks that aren't there. Uh... I think you can get special permission for stuff like that. I mean, I can't imagine just a family party, but I guess yeah. if he is saying that, um, like, a, a family member from, you know, an international family member has arrived, maybe that's the woodwash, but it is a little bit confusing that he's able to just kind of show up. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, it shows us as well. I mean, we've been told before, but every it shows us the pressure that's on Tony because later in the episode, he or well, in the next scene with Polly Walnuts, he does say that, uh, you know, I'll, ta- I'll take a piss and they'll lock me up for that. And like, that's why he has to run off the boat later in the episode. So this sort of gives credence to this thing of like, they're really on my ass right now. Yes. Yeah. Because then we, yeah, we pick up with to- Tony and Polly at the Lou Costello Memorial. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know either. And I mean, cause they, they have Polly here is surprised about what's happening. Then there's a quick comment by Chris later on at the party of how, like, I didn't get the memo. And then Tony says, if you did get the memo, would you have read it? So Tony has kept this information kind of close to the vest. It's interesting that he doesn't even bring it up at, uh, Vesuvio when he sneaks away to talk to Artie about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, or plant the seeds for hiring Furio when he gets into the country. And Polly kind of does take it personal. Uh, it does kind of show us. I know you've been uh, wishy-washy on if Polly's a smart guy or a trusted soldier because of, you know, events in season one. But yeah. Tony does say this gives him a bump. He puts him on the level of Silvio. And, it, and at first I wasn't sure if it was lip service, but uh, we do see that it is... Like uh, later on, we do see that Paulie does have some extra responsibility when he gets to talk to Johnny Sack. Yeah, I had a question about this. I mean, Furio is coming over and Tony intimates that it's to free them up. So he's going to do practical stuff, which makes it so Polly Walnuts and Silvio can be under Tony, putting an extra level of separation. <clears throat> and then Tony's obviously at the top. The two of them are directly underneath. Uh, and Pussy and Furio report directly to Silvio and and uh, Polly Walnuts. And, uh, like, who's a capo in this? Are they all capos now? Well, that's the other thing, yeah, because there were other... I mean, 
we saw them in the first season. We haven't really checked in with any of them yet, but there are supposed to be other crews, basically. Um, I think we do see one of them at the party. He makes... Um, I'm trying to remember the comment he makes. Like the jo- Oh, when they're talking about the... the It's that Chinese cunt or whatever that's... <laughs> And then, and then the right. guy goes, uh, she's Filipino. Like, <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> chimes in to correct him. I believe yeah. he is a capo. Uh, so it's not clear. I mean, this main hierarchy, I guess, is for still for Tony's crew. Or mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes them, like, de facto captains or not here. I would guess that you need a crew to be a capo. And I look, I'm just talking down my ass here. But my assumption is that they're still soldiers. I mean, Silvio doesn't have like 10 guys underneath him doing shit. Yeah. He's just like the fucking second in command along with Pauly. That doesn't mean that they're in sh- like they can probably go and talk shit to a capo, but they're doing so with Tony's words in their mouths, so to speak. They're not sort of uh, running stuff on their own, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I do like that Tony fucks with Polly a little bit, where he's like, yeah, you know, last Sunday, box of Malamars on my counter. Uh, all uh, Like, now it's empty? You don't think I knew it was you? And then Polly's like, kind of like a little confused, and he's like, oh, I'm fucking with oh, you, yeah. you prick. I just Googled that to see what they were, and I would also be pissed off if those were all gone. Yeah, it's uh, like a marshmallow on a cookie covered in chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. Yeah, it looks very good. Looks, looks tasty. Um, so we have Melfi with her therapist describing the dream from last episode. And um, it was sort of weird to have it retold and reshown at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's not really filling two functions at once, as the show is good enough to usually be doing. It's just sort of reminding us. And I think that it was probably a boring scene at the start because they were just reminding us. So they decided to cut that in, or it was just expensive to shoot a car crash and they wanted to use it twice. What's your take? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It is a, it is a bit weird how they, like, go over it again uh was it the last episode or was it the episode before that i was trying i was trying to think maybe if that was why oh yeah um, that could be why yeah you that know what it was uh yeah it was episode three so okay. it, there's been an episode in between but still it, it's it makes a bit more sense on why they would do it but it's still kind of clumsy the way it goes through uh because I mean, even it's not like we were binging it. We're two weeks away. We remember it fine. Yeah, so, uh, but yes, um, it's also because that dream is kind of on the nose already, and yeah. they have to re-explain the main thing of the dream before getting into sort of the details in the Wizard of Oz, which is which uh, the therapist find sort of more central. I mean, one thing I think that's that's even a little off too is that. Elliot here is like a different Elliot. And I, I guess it's because, you know, we, we discussed in episode three how much he knew as far as specifics with Melfi and mm-hmm. Tony. And he didn't seem to know that much then. But now he seems much more in the loop. So I guess it would make sense in the time that we haven't seen him that she's gone more into uh, who Tony is and what that means for their relationship. Because now, before he was basically the one pushing her to help this patient and he was saying stuff like oh you know you had someone commit suicide but they could have called you they could have uh you know they knew you were away and he even mentioned he has the question like did you say lamb it uh but now he's fully like against it and the it's interesting the way they explore how like this episode specifically shows that melfi is like I don't want to say not well, but like uh, it's it, you know we see the uh, 
the, the like the intricacies of her. Like, cause before we just knew her as kind of, you know, stable Dr. Melfi kind of professional, but now she's really pushing and she wants this relationship back with Tony Soprano. She's giving me some real Karen vibes from Goodfellas <laughs> yeah, here, you know? Absolutely. I'm not even joking that yeah. it's like she's so, I, I, I guess it makes sense, but she does seem suddenly quite unstable about it. Um, but yeah, it's been on her mind. It's been very, a very dramatic and traumatic thing for her. They talk about, uh, you know, how, or yeah, she mentions that she's been overeating and gaining weight and, uh, he suggests it might be a vicarious thrill, that is, after they go into uh, The Wizard of Oz and the song and all that stuff, which doesn't seem that important. But he draws the conclusion that it's, you know, maybe maybe you're getting a little excitement out of this, Melfi. And what does she do, Jim? She storms out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, you said, or we decided uh, together, that it only it's only when Tony does it that it counts. However, I will say that you uh, have more information than me, and it's an unfair power dynamic, and so any consent I gave to that is uh, not really consent, because this is so clearly a storm out, um, and it's in a therapy thing, and it's because of Tony's influence on her. That's, so it's kind of Tony storming out in a way. No, that's exactly what I was going to say because she is, she's specifically mimicking Tony. And I feel like in yeah. a weird way, her talking about gaining weight is like a weird connection as well. Cause obviously Tony's like a husky dude. He's a big mm. bear. Um, and I think that's a connection. And yeah, like even the way she's cursing at uh, Elliot and stuff. So I think, she is basically like living vicariously. It's like she's she's being Tony Soprano here. So it yeah. is essentially Tony Soprano walking out uh, of therapy. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I feel like storm out, add it to the board. Fuck you. What? Whoops. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. We got eight storm outs for everyone on the podcast. It's eight in total, and we have seventeen. Deaths. I'll say I was, uh, you know, I was getting uh, a bit scared that we'd never catch up. But I, as far as I recall, no one dies in this episode. We're nope. we're making some progress. No, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing because I know you were getting pretty nervous about these counters and how one was going to clearly outweigh the other. And I feel like within the past few episodes, we've had like one each almost. We've had we basically had like uh, two or three stormouts since we started the t- the the old timer here, uh, the the tagger. Yeah, and I think it's part of it is um, Tony was getting better, and then he hasn't had therapy for almost half a season now, and uh, it's even affecting his therapist. That's how bad it is. Because even in the next episode, we get another reminder of how not stable Tony is, because he's at home, and he gets a phone call about a loan taken out on the house that belongs to his mother. So in front of his son and wife, he just smashes the shit out of that phone. He's very relatable in this moment, by the way, and throws it in the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. He freaks out and, yeah, it's, uh, I'll get her the fucking message. And he hangs up and he kind of starts trying to tell Carmilla what's happening. And then he just starts, you know, geeking out even more, smashing the phone. And, uh, I mean, clearly it's important that his young son, AJ, He's just silently, you know, watching this in like complete horror, uh, even though like I feel like he's probably seen similar things, but it's got a way on you. Uh, and 
you know, he they even have a scene where like it maybe feels like he's gonna go and kind of talk to AJ, but he just like makes a joke and walks away. <laughs> like doesn't really. He tries to yeah, he tries to like joke it off. Obviously, like hey, you and me, buddy, we're just haha making palling around, and AJ just kind of gives him this. Mm, yeah mm, this little smile like yeah sure dad sure yeah and then even like i guess they're not full-on following up carmela's ending in the last episode but she's not really trying as much as she has where she's just kind of like yelling at him and then she even kind of snaps at aj like told you to go get ready for school uh so it does feel like she's done being the you know therapist stand-in at least for what we're seeing here yeah, she suggests that he grow the fuck up, uh, maybe. Is yeah. a, this is a good idea for you, Tony. <laughs> so Tony decides with that this uh, after handling this uh, social situation masterfully, he will uh, take on another challenge by going to the house itself where he expects to yell at his sister uh, and instead runs into Richie in his underpants. And, you know, that does wonders for his mood, of course. Yeah, and it's very interesting because... Um Every time we've seen Richie, especially with Tony, uh, he's very combative to Tony. And, you know, of course, Tony Soprano's our hero, we the audience, so we don't like this guy. But in here, like, I have so much sympathy for Richie and Janice, even though, like, yeah, they're kind of both up to something, but Richie seems a little bit more, like, mellow and kind of at peace. And Tony's just being a fucking prick about it. And he even, like, has to shit on his sister, like, Oh, you know, there are better looking guys in the can than my sister. And uh, Richie has to have that. Like, he takes the fork and it's still dripping with egg. And he's like, you know, you you, you, you uh, crossed the line with me one time, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is sort of a weird thing because their whole power thing is like, we're here in our suits and we're talking real business. And all of a sudden, he's storming into where he doesn't expect to find him. He's there all pretty much in his underwear just making breakfast and in a way he's sort of owning the space more just by being relaxed which is annoying for tony because he's there he's comfortable there and tony is not comfortable there and he's not comfortable with you being comfortable there Mm. so even him like if he flared up more it's like tony wants him to react because if he's just like yeah sure tony whatever you say it's like why are you so fucking relaxed over here yeah yeah and then like um yeah, because then even Janice shows up and, you know, he brings up the loan and then Richie's just like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And Tony, uh, in an, almost like in a similar response to like how Carmilla was trying to laugh off their relationship, he kind of gives him the similar thing and is like, yeah, okay, you, you deserve each other. Like, oh, fuck, fucking whatever. And storms out. I mean, not yeah. quite a storm out, but, you know. No, yeah, no. Uh, he says, like, you... Because uh, if, if we counted that, it's every time he leaves a room, basically, and we can't. Yeah. Um, but it's, he says, like, he, she's your problem now, which yes. is nice because I hope he can maybe put it a bit out of his mind now because it is kind of true they are not being great people. Uh, but hey, they do, they do deserve each other. And um, also, I'll say, Janice, she really does have an answer for everything, right? Because it's like I only took out the loan to take care of mom <laughs> yeah. because you won't give her any money. It's like whatever it is, like oh no, of course I just took the real estate science for my friend. It's my friend is gonna do the real estateing, and then like oh, you're living in the house now. Well, that's weird. Well, and and that also is the other side of it, like not to. Conf- not to like defend Tony's reaction here because clearly like he's he, you're right he's looking for a fight or he wants 
he kind of wants to spread his misery. He wants them to be like feel like he is because he's got this fucking anger and anxiety going on right now, and he kind of doesn't want them to be okay. But the other side of it is, you know, we're outsiders looking in. He he knows Janice better than us, and he knows she is up to something. And even if he shouldn't care, and he kind of even says that later on, it's, you know, he, he can't get it out of his head. It's kind of like that thing when you see, like, a family fighting and you're like, the worst thing you could do is try to step in and be like, hey, leave her alone. You know, she's trying to make it better for your mother. Because it's like, no, you don't understand. There's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, skipping forward, uh, I mean, there's Christopher and the Bag of Oranges, which yeah. we already mentioned. Um, then there's the party for Furio, where he's all impressed by this American television invention that they apparently don't have in Italy. Uh, and a- AMC talks about, oh, they're showing this Italian film on AMC. I'm surprised he wasn't talking about HBO and how cheap the subscription is. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a... This is clearly at a time of uh, pre-Breaking Bad AMC when AMC would just show old movies. Yeah. And yeah, what they're showing... Uh, I had to turn on the subtitles because I wasn't sure what he was saying, but I guess two women, two women, yep. a 1960 yep. Italian film, a uh, story of a young woman trying to protect her young daughter from the horrors of war. And I think his comments are like, in Italy, no one cares. Like, we, <laughs> like, we wouldn't care about this. And then Tony has to make a crack like... You know, hey, why don't you tell him what your favorite TV program is? Because it's almost <laughs> like before this, he's kind of like staring at him and annoyed. Unless is is he staring at Big Pussy or no? He's staring at Furio, right? I think so, but I I I, I don't recall very clearly the scene because I can't tell if maybe because even Carmela has to be like, "Are you okay?" Like she walks by real quick and sees him doing his thing. I am also wondering if he's like, "Oh my God, is this guy not worth it?" This long haired like. <laughs> Because he's he just looks like a, a like a happy go lucky long haired idiot, uh, Furio I'll, that is. Yeah, I'll tell you what my thought in that scene was. It was who's this guy? I was like, wait, am I? <laughs> oh, do I know who this guy is? I didn't recognize him with his long hair down. I'm face blind. That's why I didn't have a chance to get a load of his reaction. But he does say like, put two drops of breast milk on his eyelids. So I can't imagine that Tony's maybe is like, what the fuck did I do? Yeah, yeah, maybe second guessing because especially I mean, as we saw at the end of last week's episode, he was, you know, trying to convince everyone, including himself, that they did really good business. Uh, we do get a quick thing of Big Pussy who's, you know, clearly concerned with his station now because Furio's there and I believe he's trying to talk to Silvio about it and Silvio's like, not here. Um, because of course, you know, they're kind of keeping him at an arm's length, uh, you know, for, I guess, obvious reasons. He's still not back in good graces yet. Yeah. And there is also the thing that, um... Like, there's a reason he brought Polly to that, uh, sorry, Polly Walnuts to that monument or whatever. Uh, like, because we've had it established, we don't talk business just anywhere. So, like, why are you asking me in the Sopranos home who's the new boss or, like, who's, or no, who's the zip, he says. Uh, like, why are you even asking me this here? You should just talk about the food, man. Oh, and sorry to backtrack. I don't know why I said I don't know. I double-checked. Lou Costello, obviously, Ab- Abbott and Costello. That's who the, the Lou Costello memorial that they were at. It's oh, from Abbott okay. and Costello. Uh, just real quick. But, yeah, yeah, it because, it, yeah, it is – it's understandable, I feel, just because clearly everyone was out of the loop on what was happening, and now it's, like, being dropped in everyone's lap. But um, on top of that, it's clear to Big Pussy that he's being kind of pushed away a, li- a little bit. But yeah. also, you're right, it doesn't help his station 
to be trying to openly talk business, especially in Tony's house, where like I guess they always go down in the basement if they're going to talk about something. For some reason, they trust the basement more, but uh, yeah. definitely not in the living room. Are you serious? And then yeah, Chris. Uh, oh, good. No, I was just gonna say it's probably the same as you that Christopher shows up yep. and um, meant like he's also surprised didn't get the memo as we said earlier. And I, in a way, it's a bit strange that Tony is doing all this. Uh, but then it's like, why would he tell anyone about this? Because we just said about business, like you don't want anyone to know the power structure of the place. And just look at I don't know the Office UK when it's like, oh, are we gonna get merged? Are we gonna get merged with the other company? Who's gonna get laid off? What's gonna happen to my job and my responsibilities? Like, no, you don't need to know that. Guess what? I'm the boss, so I decided this, and uh, now it's a little bit different. Here's a memo. Yeah, no, that's true. That makes sense. And then we hear about the tanning salon guy again and how, you know, he's only coming up with half. And Tony gets the idea of, uh, you know, he's looking at Furio. It's like, okay, this will kind of put him to the test. We'll see if he's getting his money's worth here. Yes. And uh, then we have, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris Jr. Jr. tries to show up, as we mentioned. Carmela slams the door on him, uh, unsurprisingly. Then Christopher's rehearsing with Adriana and uh, doesn't really get into the glass menagerie. And he, <laughs> but he does a good Joe Pesci uh, from a movie no one watched. Yeah, what movie? I think Jimmy Hollywood. Is that the one they were talking about? I looked it up. It's a box office bomb from 94. Spent $30 million on it. It earned about $3 million, uh, Where after losing his job as a waiter, Jimmy transformed himself into Jericho, leader of a mock vigilante group that videotapes criminals and then turns them over to the police. So, I feel like I've yeah. seen this movie. Um, and yeah, Jericho is Jimmy Hollywood. <laughs> and yeah, she just stares at him, gives him exactly what he's owed for his impression. And uh, oh, Christian Slater's in the movie as well. Maybe yeah. that's the one we watch in between uh, seasons. <laughs> Could be. Uh, but I thought it was like, hey, why don't you get him up there doing quotes with Silvio when you're doing on your little quote thing uh, back and forth? Yeah. It seems about on the same level. <laughs> Give it to me, Chris. Um, Give me that Jimmy Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so then Tony goes over to Hesh. Now, there's a couple of scenes with Hesh. Um, but the main, I mean, the obvious thing here is Tony really needs to talk about his shit, but. The thing when you have a friend is you can't just talk about your shit. They also need to talk about their shit. Yeah. And quite amusingly, they're talking about their shit separately, and neither of them is really listening to the other, so it's not really working out. I love these scenes. It's such a simple thing, and it kind of even goes to show that, like, you know, Hash should maybe talk to someone, too. Like, they both need to talk to, you know, a therapist or what have you, and they're just both blathering on. Like, at least at this point... uh Tony, well, I mean, Tony does get the information that his dad also had panic attacks, but they just called him spells or something like that or a condition uh, yes. back then. Sorcery. And, and at least at this point, Tony does get annoyed at one point because he's like, you want to hear about this dream or not? And it's like, no one, <laughs> first of all, no one wants to hear about your dream ever. Yep. Uh, unless you're being paid, you know, uh, sums of money per hour to have to sit and listen to someone's dream. And yes. yeah, Hesh is going on about an article. He Is this the article in the Times that Tony asks about later on? I, I think so. I, I meant to d- double check. I think it is because he's talking about how they could measure fear in the brain. And I, I like how it's written because it does seem like it's one conversation at first. It does seem like they're uh actually responding to each other and then it completely veers off and they're just kind of both blabbering on uh it's pretty great 
Yes, which does have, like, there's layers to that sort of dialogue because it's like there's motive to each line being put forth as well, and they're sort of drifting apart as they go in an interesting way. And as you said, no one wants to hear about your dream. It's like holiday snaps uh, and dreams are the same. They're only interesting if you're in them. Like, if I am in the dream, okay, you can tell me. Or if I'm in the picture from your holiday, yeah, show yeah. it to me. Otherwise, I don't give a shit. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, oh, what a great little reference. We see some ducks outside the boat. And uh, Tony's Guma is feeding them, like, popcorn or something like that. Like, something stupid. Like cheese doodles or yeah, whatever. Yeah, cheese doodles. And... As we know, uh, Tony knows a thing or two about ducks, and he has a very special connection, and he gets pretty annoyed that she keeps feeding them cheese doodles because they're going to, like, choke or fucking die uh, if they keep eating them. Yeah, I had a family of mallards living in my pool for two months. (laughs) I'm practically a marine biologist or a bird biologist, whatever. Um, So he uses some of that ex's rage from the phone smacking and everything to ball grab the guy in the next boat for talking smack to his girl. Uh... And uh, then they storm off because the FBI will probably pin anything on him at this point. Well, it, it's and it's interesting for this show because it always seems like they have these public daytime outdoor attacks and they're never concerned. So yeah. it's like a weird change of pace that he's actually concerned like, oh, no, the cops are going to come. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, you could always say that like, well, his boat is named the Stugats. I mean, I guess maybe it wouldn't be in his name. But I guess either way, he's got those connections where if someone comes up on the scene and he's not there, they could squash it after the fact. But it, it is just interesting to see them be like, oh, no, we got to get out of here because uh, I just fucking assaulted this man and the police are going to come. Yeah, I did this for no reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's nice to see the Guma again. I, I was like, I've seen her on the boat before. And at one point I was like, does she live on the boat? Is that her house? Is that her home for her? But I guess she's at an apartment as well, or maybe that was a hotel. I honestly don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, they do are usually on the on the boat, but yeah, they've been in like a, either an apartment or a hotel. I do like that she has swimmies on on her arms. For some <laughs> yeah, reason. yeah. When they storm <laughs> off, she's still got these little floater things. <laughs> I did love that, um, and I did also love that he kind of goes over there because I mean. He says something to her. I mean, the guy in the next boat says, like, oh, I'll introduce you to my brother. But she's like, yeah, if I wanted a factory worker, I'd have stayed in Kazakhstan. <laughs> but then Tony's like, has to go and mess with him anyway. Yeah. And then even when he comes, like, and I, from her perspective, it's like, I don't even care if this guy dies. The guy in the next boat, she's in doing her makeup or whatever when, when he comes back. Um, oh, yeah, because at first she's like, Tony, don't. And you feel like... Yeah. Maybe she's reasonable, but yeah, you're right. She just kind of, as he goes and attacks him, she just goes inside and starts doing her makeup, and she's like surprised that they have to leave. <laughs> yes, that's the annoying part. You always ruin everything, Tony. Um, so then, okay, Christopher, we already mentioned he does this whole big scene, and he does great. And I mean, I'm I was moved. I don't even know the plot of this uh, well, thing behind it. I mean, it, do you it... want to take a look at the scene? Yes. Is that something? We could do that, right? I actually, let me pull it up real quick. I got it. I do kind of have it. Let me just cue it so I can put it in the video. Oh, great. Uh, let's see. One second. I apologize, people. It's no problem. Let's I mean, I, I wanted to mention anyway, I was actually moved. And that's the weird thing when you see even acting, like it's not on a, on a film. You just see someone acting in front of you. And that's also happened to me in like film school or whatever in that setting of someone recording a quick thing where I, we all know it's fake. 
but they just did such a good job that you feel moved. It's like, wait a minute, what just happened? And now I'm watching someone in a film doing that about another film, and it's still like, oh, that really cuts deep. All right, yeah, let me pull it up here. Here's a little bit. It is funny because when he does that, I was like, is that like what that is in yeah, that movie? Me or? too. He nailed it. Get the stretcher in here. When I saw that red jacket, I, I thought. Hey, jackpot. So we get it. I mean, I was I wasn't sure if he actually went and hugged his legs in the actual scene because they seemed surprised when he did that. Yes, um, but I mean, if I, I know on the podcast you're listening to some of the audio, but if you go to our YouTube, you could see the scene as well. Uh, it kind of is. He does hug the he does hug the legs to be clear. Yes. Oh, yeah. In the, in the actual movie in Rebel Without a Cause, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, he does. Um, I guess maybe they're just surprised how into it he's getting and how he's kind of like really going for it. I think they're surprised that he has any sort of skill or talent at all because all the rest of them don't. Um, But yeah, I assumed he... I had the same feeling, but at the same time, he hugged Adriana's legs when he was rehearsing and he wasn't into it. So I was like, that has to be an iconic part of the scene. I guess it is. But it is like, oh shit, he's actually doing it. It's like we're watching the movie up here. It's not just like we're saying the words. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it does, like I think you kind of mentioned... It gives you that hope where you're like, oh, this is Christopher's thing. He's an actor. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it, I don't think we mentioned it does. Like, everyone is very impressed, and he should be proud, but he kind of has to storm out because he, he is he's vulnerable up there. He's showing, like, you know, way more emotion than he would ever want to, especially. I mean, I guess it'd probably be better to strangers than to the people he knows, but... He's uh, like laid bare uh, in front of everyone. Wait, what did you say he did, Jim? Oh, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, it can't be. I, I didn't even I didn't even think of it until uh, now. But he he does storm out. But I've thought of this before. Christopher storms out of every scene he's in. Like there, I know there's a scene in season one where uh, Tony tells him about his therapist. Um, be like, yeah, I see a therapist. Big deal. Book whoop. Want to fight about it? He says to Silvio and Polly and 
and uh, Polly Walnuts and uh, and uh, yeah, to Christopher and Christopher storms out. Yeah. But we didn't count that one, and we can't count it because he storms out of literally every scene he's in. However, it's tricky because this is so clearly like he wasn't supposed to leave at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's not Tony. I, I well, guess we don't count it. No, I don't think because we'd have to count the next one too because that's also <laughs> when the the <laughs> clip we true. played at the start of the show. That's just as much of a storm out when they're doing the A-B exercise and he punches him in the face and he clearly storms out. I, I feel like the we keep it with Tony. The Melfi one works because, again, it's very connected and um, in line with what Tony does. So we got to keep it. we got to keep the rules there. Yes, I'll say if anyone's in therapy and they storm out, we'll count it as well. Um, if anyone else starts seeing a therapist... But uh, yeah, no, we'll just imagine we have a separate Christopher storm out counter and it's at 99 because it doesn't go any higher. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes. Um, then we have, I think, this whole restaurant scene um, where there's a four top again with oh, uh, yeah. three people. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we start out like as we we're talking about Furio's pressing the, buf- the buffalo mozzarella but he's got a cigarette with very long ash, like just precariously uh, hovering over the food. And, you know, Charmaine trying to be uh, not very subtle with like putting the ashtray and comments. And then, you know, Fury doesn't care. And then he's like, goes to take a break, break gets to sit down with, um, with Polly and Pussy. And uh, pa- like, I like how Pussy's trying to kind of alpha him a little bit. Yeah. Like he's trying to like, what, make fun of his name or like talk weird to him, but no one's really on his side. To be uh, fair, he did say foodio, and the joke is he does food stuff now. <laughs> I think that's the, a joke. Right? I mean, it's a, it's also an alpha thing, but but he just corrects him like, no, it's foodio, and pussy <laughs> sort of has this look that I sometimes feel as well. Like, yeah, I know, I know, it's furio, <laughs> and he gets him to pour more wine and all that stuff. Ah, you stomp those grapes yourself. <laughs> yeah, Paulie's like, what are you doing? Yeah, and then Johnny Sack shows up, uh, and. It's it's so telling because, you know, they're like, okay, pussy, you know, take a walk. But Furio gets to just hang out. The guy that works in the kitchen that just showed up like two days ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, things are not looking good. And then we check in with um, pussy and his handler. I, I don't know his name offhand. Uh, and they're both kind of bitter, like, you know, almost similar to... Uh, Tony and Hesh, but not quite as disjointed. They're both kind of complaining about their jobs and being passed over. And I love the idea. I love the way it plays out where they're like, you know, world's full of scumbags. And then we get the, <laughs> we get the wide shot of just those two scumbags in an empty diner. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, they're little, they're talking about how you can't trust anyone anymore and he's a snitch. Yeah. Uh, so yes, exactly. Um, and, and it is interesting. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Tony did say that Pussy and Furia report directly to you. I mean, indicating that Pussy's not out of the game, but uh, he, he's way more out of the game than Furio, as you said, who just showed up. Um, so it's, it is very telling for him. And I don't know what when Tony said, like, by the way, cut Pussy out of everything. Because yeah. he could have said that in that scene, but he didn't. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's just, I guess, an interesting choice. I don't know if Paulie's making that choice based off what he's reading from Tony. Um, and maybe Furio, it's partially that, uh, I mean, who does he know? Even if they're, like, talking about people, it's not like Furio's going to understand, like, oh, you know, the guy over by the thing that does the thing, the tanning salon or whatever, you know, he's just some idiot off the boat. 
Well, I'm just wondering as well, what business are they talking here? Because what business is it like important to get Furio in on? We know the main thing he does in this episode coming up is not related to Saxon, New York. So I guess maybe it's just to introduce him and there's no, it would be good not to have Pussy there because Pussy doesn't need to know what he doesn't need to know. But it's like, also, why are you introducing him to New York? Yeah. I don't know, maybe just because he's going to be around. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just a nice way to send a message, and especially, you know, uh, for us, the audience, seeing that, uh, uh-oh, you're on the outs, dude. You better think of something quick. Uh, and then what, we get back to Melfi in, um, back in therapy, and this is where she's kind of pushing really hard that she thinks she should be taking Tony back uh, mm-hmm. under her care. And I believe this is when he asks if she has sexual feelings for Tony. Yeah, that's at the end of the scene. Um, and she admits to having feelings, though not sexual. Um, it's it's kind of reminiscent of the scene in Italy when um, the lady over there is like, oh, but you want to fuck this person back home. This is not my accent. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, she says, no, I have feelings for him, though, on a personal level. And her voice all shaky. And, I mean, yeah, she cries. It's the title of the episode, Big Girls Don't Cry, yep. um, which is a song that also plays uh, at one point, I think in the restaurant Yeah, scene. in the restaurant scene early in the episode when... Uh, uh, Artie's talking to the the four top and uh she says like i think seeing him again will be very therapeutic for me and uh, her therapist says what i'm thinking like it's not supposed to be that's not what that is for this is for therapy for you okay and and it does feel like they've talked about her reverting to like a little bit more childlike and it does feel like we're seeing her kind of in that mode and we see uh, Toodle fucking ooh, uh, Melfi later when she calls yeah. Tony, and she's like, she's also reaching for her glass of wine, and uh, it's it's interesting, you know, seeing her go through these different kind of modes because, you know, I mean, based off just season one, it's just uh, as all we knew, besides a few shots of her arguing with her family about Tony, she's kind of level-headed, Doctor Melfi. Yeah, she's, you know, we've seen her as the most stable character on the show. And now it's like, don't worry, no (laughs) one's that stable. Um, And it's even been like five episodes of her being a bit out of whack and out of balance and really upset with Tony and telling him to fuck off. So it's almost towards the end when we do get to see them in therapy, it's like a bit jarring to have them back in this situation. And I guess it's natural for anyone. I mean, that's the situation where she feels in control. Um Not that she's controlling the person, but she's actually in a situation where she knows what she's doing and is really capable at it. Um, So it stands to reason that she's not going to act exactly the same through her whole life, which is what she says to Tony in season one. Like, I am the person you need me to be to help you. Yes, absolutely. Um, And yeah, in between that, we do get uh, Tony gets to take Furio to the tanning salon. And it's clear that, uh, you know, not the guy's not the only problem. It's the wife as well. And, uh, I mean, I think we're just as impressed as Tony because Furio goes in and fucks shit up, like, big time. <laughs> like, he starts kicking yes. ass on everyone, goes in by himself with a bat, and, you know, he's he smashes the glass door, and people are coming out of rooms. He's knocking them out, and he, he you know, goes right into the back. He puts a bullet in the guy's leg, uh, punches the lady in the face, like, kicks her. Kind of, He's yelling stuff in Italian, and uh, I didn't have subtitles, so I don't know what he's saying, but... It's, 
I mean, in that mode, it's impress. It's an impressive feat for sure. It's an impressive thing to watch. <laughs> it's like it's not that dramatic because it's well, obviously, it's very dramatic. But it's like no one's trying to kill him. There's no security at this place. At the same time, he does it with such calm and like he's. It's like he's going grocery shopping, going in like oh, give you the pop, <laughs> grab the gun, uh, smash the glass. Someone's coming here. Better knock him out. And yeah, as you said, he just beats the shit out of him and uh, shoots him in the kneecap. And when he shoots him in the kneecap, I thought, maybe he went too far. Maybe we're going to cut to Tony like, oh, no, I went too far. But I always forget that Tony's a psychopath. Like, yes. he does, we're, we're, we're with him, so we forget about this part. Because yep. he's out there puffing his cigarette, just loving it, just he's... loving life. So, of course, when Melfi's calls, he's like, nah, everything's all right right now. I'm feeling great. Well, yeah, I mean, we've made mention this is when we most see Tony Soprano at ease. Like, we're seeing him at home, like... Uh, when he's watching the news, he's dipping like cold cuts in mayonnaise and just eating yeah. it. But he's annoyed. He's annoyed. <laughs> but here he's sitting out there smoking a cigar, hearing all the terror that's going on inside. And he's got a smile on his face. He's the most happy we've seen him. And real quick, back to what you were saying uh, about how he uh, how Furio goes in with ease. It's almost like he goes into that uh, tanning salon the same way of like, when you've played a video game level a bunch of times that you know it well enough, where like yeah. there's one part at the end you keep messing up at, but you're so good at the beginning where you're like, oh yeah, this guy comes in here, this guy comes in here. He's exactly like that. Like he's played this level many a times. He knows exactly where all the the characters are gonna come out. Oh, he's coming out of this door. I'll smack him. Give this girl a smack of a backhand of the face. Uh, and yes, and and Tony. He gets this, uh, what great timing for Melfi to call because he's getting his therapy. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, he doesn't think he needs, you know, her her therapy. He's found a new thing. Yeah. Uh, he's got a real uh, Groundhog's Day, Edge of Tomorrow vibe where he just already <laughs> knows where they're going to yeah. come from and just yeah. smacks them up. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it puts the scene from the previous episode in the new light where he, he watches this guy just smack the shit out of some kid. He's like, oh, yeah, there's that Chinese girl who needs a good smack. But, of course, uh, Christopher is too honorable and he's got Adrian outside with the horn honking and everything. Better get this guy over there. Yeah, yeah. And... um then we kind of cut back to uh i mean we had the chris scene obviously uh one thing i did want to talk about is it's interesting uh, it, it's i don't want to say it's out of character because it makes sense because when chris is talking about when we cut back to chris with adriana after he beat up the guy in his acting class she's kind of surprisingly insightful um mm -hmm. at least from what we know at this point and i mean part of it is like they are, they do want to spell it out a bit more for us, but it does make sense that Adriana knows Chris obviously uh, pretty well, and in a way, she's kind of his Melfi um, mm -hmm. because she does spell it out for him. And it's it's I like Chris's reaction because he's like, "What? I was just better than him." Like <laughs> he thinks of it <laughs> as this weird competition because like his response is like. Well, I mean, I knew I was better at acting than him. And she's like, well, yeah, you know, you said the, the class clapped and everything, but maybe it brought up some real issues you have with your father. And this is kind of the first we're hearing about that as well. Like he had a father that died pretty young. I mean, I guess maybe they mentioned it. Maybe Tony mentioned it in his voiceover, like in the pilot or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I like how they do it. It, it feels a little weird because usually she's so like kind of dumb. But I think mm -hmm. it I don't think it's a cheat either. No, I think it's believable because as you said, it's like 
that we have seen a lot of them like uh him doing drugs her getting smacked by him and you know then he gets threatened by richie and all that but we know they have a connection if they just you know became boyfriend and girlfriend a previous episode then yes uh it would be an issue but it's just got this underlying base thing of like to her that's kind of obvious because i mean chris isn't that complicated of a guy really True. and it's just to him as you said it's like what it just acted real good i don't get it <laughs> and of course his answer is like what do you know about writing anyway just from writing uh, uh writing uh orders at the restaurant or whatever uh. And it's like the worst thing he could say. And he doesn't even mean to do that. It's just a reflex thing for him. Because yeah. like, oh, no, I'm getting close to my feelings. Better lash out. Yeah, because that even hurts me when he says that. Because she's she's being really insightful and and helpful in both like his personal issues and also just talking about writing. Because she's even, you know, uh, to what you were saying that he does realize later on. And I mean, this is probably one of the catalysts that helps it sink in is that the best writing does it is like bearing yourself and really getting in touch with you know uh not necessarily always a dark side but some of your deepest feelings um and then yeah he has to kind of hit her with a crack about <laughs> writing at the restaurant and of course she throws his stupid broken toe away and you know mentions how excited she was for him when she saw that ad in the paper to get him a nice gift for his birthday a nice thoughtful gift i might add to be fair, he probably would have stormed after her. I, I think that may, that's maybe why they gave him a broken toe, oh, so yeah. he couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, therapy. We're in therapy again. He showed up after all. Yes. And it's kind of, it is, I do like that they kind of just drop the moment in your lap, because last we had saw, he basically was, uh, you know, he, it seemed like he wasn't going to go. He thought he was better. But this thing they've been building up... Uh, you know, since the premiere of this season, here we are. Tony and Melfi are back, and uh, you know, is it is it back to the way things were, or do we need to repair this relationship here? Tony's real smiley in this scene. Uh, what was your sort of feeling on why he's like smiling so much? Yeah, it's a bizarre. I guess it's similar in a way to um, his scene earlier with uh, Janice and Richie. It's like uh, he wants to make her miserable. Like he wants to throw it in her face that she wants to help him. Uh, I guess it's because he's probably still hurt that he went to her and kind of was, you know, similar to Chris showing his vulnerability when he went and asked her for help in the premiere. And she said, get the fuck out of my life. And he was just lost uh, roaming around his house eating leftovers. So because yeah. I mean, and we see it because he throws it in her face like he he outright talks about crimes that happened. And usually they're very playful around like talking in code or around it. But like he wants her to know, you know, when you called me, you know, a guy was beating the shit out of someone that owes me money. So it is this weird like, I guess, power thing. Yeah, I think he's smiling also because it's like, I know what you're going to do. Like, you're not going to trick me with your weird questions and get me to start crying or whatever. Like, he's just like, yeah, I already know what you're going to say. And that he kind of tries to bring that up at the start. Like, oh, yeah, what? My father had it, too. What? You're not going to send me for a scan like in uh, that Times article? You didn't read it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I think. uh he also thinks that thinks of that as like a weird out where yeah. 
it, yeah, you send me for a scan. Now we can find a medical reason behind it. And I, I like I like what you're saying too because that almost ties in with how they say, even if you're sad, just smile because it'll like trick yourself into being yeah. happy. And it's, it, uh, you know, I get the feeling that that would be tied in with what he's doing as well. Yeah, and he she asks what why are you here. And he says, yeah, I want to stop having these. I want to stop passing out and this stuff. And I want to be in total control. And she says, there's no such thing as being in total control. And he he says, of course there is. Um, and she says, you know, go read The Art of uh, War by Sun Tzu if you want to be a good leader. That's not really what this is. And that's when he brings up, as you said, all the crime stuff. You know what I do. You called me. And he chooses to throw in her face like, you know what I was doing? I was... Uh, uh, outside while some bad guy was uh, getting really fucked up. And then she asks, uh, like, about how he was feeling, and he says, I wish I was in there. And she asks, well, taking the beating or giving it? And that's kind of like fucking checkmate right oh, there. It's so great. It's such a simple, like, uh, like capper for the scene. Like, at least in hindsight, it feels like, oh, that's so obvious, but... I'm sure it took a lot. I mean, it, it took a, like a very good writing to get there. Yeah. But it feels yeah, like it's so effortless. It feels like, oh, of course, you know, because he doesn't really have an answer. And the thing as well, I thought was um, this is, even though he doesn't want to be made to cry and uh, <laughs> like express his emotions, kind of like uh, Christopher throwing his writing into the trash. He still came here because this is what she can do that Hesh cannot do. Like, he wants pe- someone to ask these questions, and he comes in thinking, I know what you're going to say. It's just a scan. There's that. You still called me and all that. But then she throws something, and I don't necessarily think the answer is like, yeah, I want to get fucking beaten up because I'm such a bad man. I don't think that at all, actually. I think yeah. probably the answer is, yeah, I wish I was giving it, duh. But just the fact that she asks that question is something that no one else in his life would do. And it's exactly what he needs to explore his brain and get to a better place. Yeah, because it's it's not so much that the answer... Yeah, I completely agree. It's not so much that the answer is that he wants to get the beating. It's the fact that he has to think about it. And it kind of... Yeah, it shuts him up in a way and you know makes him rethink and even reframe what he's doing and why he's doing it and what it means to him. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, and and it, it's also like we've been talking about how we've seen a more uh, erratic Melfi, and we've seen her more kind of uh, like as a real like as a real person, uh, frankly, mm-hmm. especially in therapy and vulnerable. It's a good reminder that she is very good at what she does. Yeah. Uh, even if it's this weird kind of sick thing that she feels is therapeutic for her to see Tony and have this brush with danger. It does, it, it does show that she's still good at what she does. Yes. And I think the last shot of Tony is him. Like the question, he hasn't been smiling for a bit and the question actually makes him smile. I think for the reasons we talked about, but it's not as much of a mask. It's kind of him smiling at that. And then the smile slowly fades as the thought, as the question sort of sinks in. And that's such a good way of showing he, him coming in with this mask, again, as he often does in therapy. Um, and then that's being removed by her questions and the thoughts he's forced to face. Yeah, yeah, really great stuff. Um, and then, yeah, then we kind of c- come back in with Christopher, as we, we kind of t- talked about. We see him 
gather up his hopes and dreams on floppy disk and uh, toss them in the trash. And yeah, I, I, I even though if it was that, like you had framed it where, you know, hey, this stuff is trash. I've realized that now I'm going to start anew and with this new outlook on writing. But it's more of like, uh, I don't want to feel things and I don't want to, you know, see that part of myself. So let's get yeah. rid of it. Yep, he throws it away with some jazz playing as smoke curls from his cigarette like it's an old noir film. And he walks away under the bulbs hanging above his little corridor there. And that's the end of the episode. Fade to black. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, obviously uh, all Sopranos episodes are fairly good. But uh, revisiting this one, uh, it's a particularly strong episode. And I like how they, they kind of juggle a lot, uh, but it all works really well. And even in general... Um, I meant to bring this up earlier. Like with this season so far, it's interesting how there's a lot there's a lot at play cuz obviously we got Richie April, we got Janice is in the mix now, we got this stuff with Big Pussy and the FBI. Um Junior. Junior of course, yeah. But it doesn't it's not attacking it the way you would expect. Because even like seeing Richie, it's almost like, "Oh yeah, Richie." Uh because you know, we were in Italy last episode and you kind of forget some of these things are going on, but everything's kind of simmering under the surface, uh, yeah. which is an interesting way to play it. Yes, and I i mean, watching it for the first time, there's no doubt in my mind that we're heading towards something, even though each episode is a lot of hanging out. And in, in this episode, it's like... Like you said, it's a very strong episode, but there's not necessarily like, oh shit, yeah, that's the episode where this happens. I guess it would be when Furio goes in. That's kind of cool. That's that's what sets it apart. But it's not like a show of like Game of Thrones where it's like, oh shit, the episode where the sh- thing blows up. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's still just good quality while juggling these things and not losing track of any of them quite. Um, so they're striking a good balance, and I know that there's going to be some cool shit happening in the next five or six or seven episodes uh of the season and uh or i can't count but you know in general (laughs) the the rest of the season towards the end there's going to be big stuff happening i'm sure but honestly at this point i really have no idea what it is except that these conflicts will come to and come to a head in some way yeah absolutely uh well we went quite a while on this one so uh (laughs) thank you for listening uh of course you got uh, Cuts of Black, uh, Soprano Sit Down. You can also find more uh, discussion on TV from us at showswhatyouknow.com. We are doing week to week with uh, Westworld on a show called Westworld Theories and uh, Gilead Gazette discussing The Handmaid's Tale. So all kinds of good stuff. You can find those feeds or go to showswhatyouknow.com. You can also visit JimandThem.com for more from Jim, where he mon- once made a reference to the glass menagerie <laughs> by, by saying some, a joke about the glass menagerie and then saying how everyone in the room were uncultured fucks for not getting it. Um, so that's, uh, that's what's really stuck in my mind. That's the only thing I knew about the glass menagerie before today. And uh, I sort of suspected you got your knowledge of it from The Sopranos when I saw this, but actually they switched the scene. So clearly you know a thing or two about the glass menagerie. For some reason, that's one of those uh that sticks out from high school reading it it feels like it feels like we read it for months but uh (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's one of my go-tos yeah probably also for me you can find me at awesomepedia.org where i have all my video essays and uh podcasts and other things that isn't on shows what you know.com 
that's about it for Ramaz. Uh, I think there was one more thing you wanted to tell me, Jim. Oh, there's one more thing. What? What's that? Cut to black. <laughs> <laughs>